About two months ago, I received a curious email from my father. The subject line read, ever been to Cleveland? The body of the email merely, do I have a proposition for you? Later that same week over dinner, he revealed that he was attending the Republican National Convention as a New York State delegate for Donald Trump and that he was allowed one guest should I be interested in attending. I definitely was. There's no question that this election has been the most enthralling one of my lifetime. It's difficult to turn away when candidates are mid-debate discussing the size of their penises. The problem, of course, has been that my disdain for Donald Trump is complicated by my appetite for the outrageous. My own political opinions aside, I would not miss the huge Trump convention extravaganza for anything. My father's feelings about Donald Trump, I suspect, are a touch more nuanced. I cannot say with any real certainty that I know exactly where my father falls on the political scale. This is a man who donates money to the New York State Republican Party merely because he takes umbrage with the fact that it's a one-party town. He usually self-identifies as a libertarian, though I think he's generally apprehensive to identify as anything. He was, up until this primary season, not a registered Republican. My sneaking suspicion is that my father wants to attend for the same reason I do, to witness the spectacle. And how can you blame us? Sunday, July 17th, 2016, the day before the convention. 1.15 p.m. Wheels down in Cleveland, baby. I have arrived. My father has decided to drive and so will not be arriving for a few hours. For some reason, I'm a bit nervous. I text my friend who's also in Cleveland. How long do I have to wait before I can start drinking? He replies, the second you enter the airport, this is going to be a disaster. 1.55 p.m. My Uber driver laughs when I tell him that my father is a Donald Trump delegate, a guttural belly laugh. When he regains his composure, he apologizes. I say he doesn't need to. We both laugh. 2.30 p.m. The New York State Republican Party check-in suite is on the third floor of the Renaissance Cleveland Hotel. They seem confused when I walk in as I do not fit the bill. To paint a picture for you, I'm wearing leather pants, black boots, a black t-shirt, and I have a nose ring. I look like an alien standing in this room. When I walk up to the delegate's guest check-in table, say my name, and present my identification, I receive several badges, nearly incomprehensible instructions on how and when to wear them, two New York State Republican Party pins, and an invite to the Rock the Night in Cleveland welcome party tonight. I'm then ushered to the neighboring table to get my complimentary tote bag and t-shirt. The man at the tote bag table tells me to wait a moment while he exchanges the t-shirt from a large to a medium. I make a joke about how he probably was not expecting a dainty young lady like me, and he says that this party needs more people like me. He clarifies, and by that I mean women. We need women. I'm already exhausted. 2.46 p.m. My room won't be ready for two hours, and so I'm sitting in the lobby of our hotel. Fox News is playing on four massive screens all around me. John Kasich will not suspend open carry laws in Cleveland for the week. My stomach tightens. I've grown up around responsible gun owners and would typically not be so perturbed by this news, except that the world is falling apart and everyone everywhere seems to be a psychopath. So far, I've noticed four Lily Pulitzer dresses, and I stopped counting the red ties when I hit 12. 4.03 p.m. Gail King is here. She's wearing yellow. Is Gail King a Republican? I'm really out of touch. 6.45 p.m. My delegate father has arrived. 7 p.m. I go back with my dad to the third floor so he can check in and pick up his delegate credentials. He gets so much more swag than I did. His gift bag, a tote reading Make America Great Again, contains two Make America Great Again hats, 
to make America Great Again shirts, to make America Great Again plastic cups, to make America Great Again pins, and a letter from the Donald. He also gets a delicate metal lapel pin. When he asks when he should wear it, the woman dispensing the gift bags replies, whenever you want. I'd never wear that thing. 11.59 p.m. It turns out I have the adjoining room to the New York State Delegation Party Suite. Here's a free tip. The walls at the Renaissance Cleveland Hotel are paper thin. I had no idea Republicans were this rowdy and loud. They are not using their indoor voices. They are screaming. They've been drinking in there for hours with no end in sight. I wonder if the New York State Republican Party stuck me in this room because I'm 25 and they thought I might be chill about all the noise. I can hear my father snoring from the other adjacent room. I wonder whether Chris Christie will show up to the breakfast tomorrow morning, and if so, what he'll be eating. Monday, July 18th, 2016, Convention Day 1. 8 a.m. Good morning, Cleveland. Good morning, Newt Gingrich. I am sitting in the banquet hall of our hotel where the mandatory breakfast meeting is underway. Between the delegates, the alternates, and their guests, there are about 500 people in this room. I'm introduced to a lovely and peppy woman named Betsy. Betsy has bright pink nails, and she's a riot. She's also brought her daughter along, but her daughter has decided to sleep in and skip the breakfast. Smart girl. Betsy, I learn, really loves Trump. Strangely, that does not seem to be the general vibe. It appears that most of these folks are just conceding to the inevitability of the Trump nomination. I had yet to speak to someone who presents themselves as a diehard Trump fan. Betsy is my first. The headliner of this breakfast is Newt Gingrich, who will be delivering a speech on today's theme, Make America Safe Again. Newt is so much cuter in person in that he resembles a beach ball. He walks into the room and, after shaking many hands, takes a seat at the table next to mine. Ed Cox, the chairman of the New York State Republican State Committee, appears on the stage and delivers a glowing introduction, all the while my eyes are on Newt. He looks despondent, to say the least. His demeanor shifts when he gets up on stage. He becomes immediately more personable, although he does use a strange analogy equating terrorists to wolves, the U.S. government to sheep, and himself to a guard dog. The analogy gets muddy when, and I'm paraphrasing, he explains that the sheep are also victims of terrorism and that sheep cannot say that the wolves are wolves because that would compromise their role as sheep, but that guard dogs are prepared to be tough against wolves. I don't exactly follow. He also says that Donald Trump does not drink coffee, which I'm not sure is public knowledge. Chris Christie is not here. God damn it. 1 p.m. My father and I have parted ways after briefly getting lost in the casino next to the Quicken Loans Arena. He's headed to the floor of the convention to sit with the other delegates, whereas my credentials sequester me to the nosebleed seats. Quicken Loans Arena looks spectacular. The stage looks like Voltron meets the Hunger Games meets WWE. It's fabulously over the top in the most perfectly Donald Trump type of way. It's huge. The parts not seen on primetime television, however, are anything but impressive. It feels claustrophobic and frankly run down. From my seat, I spot my father on the floor. The New York State delegation is front and center. Donald hooked it up. The convention gets underway, and it's a theatrical performance, the likes of which I have never seen. But despite the spectacle unfolding on stage, there are not as many people here as I was expecting. Everywhere I look, there are empty seats. Some children come out to sing the national anthem. 1.15 p.m. The RNC has a house band. Pardon my language, but this is fucking hysterical. 1.25 p.m. 
I abandon my post in search of water. I find a concession stand rebranded for this week as the Republican Roadhouse. The line is massive. Everywhere I look, people are eating hot dogs. 1.35 p.m. I'm still in line and I have barely moved. People around me are getting annoyed. I'm seeing a lot of people adorned in Donald Trump pins, hats, shirts, etc. The entirety of the Texas delegation is wearing cowboy hats. I see a woman from the Wisconsin delegation wearing a cheese head. The only people I see in Make America Great Again hats, and this is not a criticism, merely an observation, are overweight men. All the women in Make America Great Again hats are wearing stilettos. 2 p.m. I finally make it to the front of the line and purchase a bottle of water. It costs me $6.25. I return to my seat. 3 p.m. I get a text from my father. Leaving? I'm tempted. God bless him. We decide to meet up and get the hell out of here. 3.45 p.m. We're back at the hotel and have just turned on CNN to learn what to learn that all hell has broken loose on the convention floor. The Never Trump movement is making its final attempt to stop Trump from getting the nomination. This process involves lots of things I do not understand, but which CNN is so generously explaining to me. Anti-Trump delegates were attempting via delegate signatures to force a vote on the convention rules. I ask my father if we should go back. The chaos does not seem to interest him, though I also think he believes that this last-ditch effort by the anti-Trumpers is a fool's errand. It'll never work, he says, and decides to take a nap instead. In the event he's needed, he's given his proxy vote to someone else. I feel a little bummed to be missing all the action. 5.25 p.m. Outside of the hotel lobby, I meet my second diehard Trump fan. He says that Trump, he's been a Trump supporter from the beginning and that Trump is tough as nails. I'm tempted to remind him that Trump seems unusually sensitive about the size of his hands. 7.40 p.m. There's a very peaceful protest happening just outside the convention center. Dad approaches the police on horseback to inquire about the breed of horses. Everyone, protesters, cops, the attendees, seem remarkably chill and polite. 7.45 p.m. Back at the convention, back in line for a goddamn bottle of water. You're not allowed to bring beverages into the secure area, and you are also not allowed to bring tennis balls or vapes. My father is schmoozing with a Texas delegate in the concession line. There are more people here for the night session, but only marginally. Once again, Dad and I part ways, and I make my way back to the seat. He's promised to lend me his floor pass at least once this week. When I sit down, the Benghazi survivors are speaking. I, along with everyone else in the room, are riveted. 9 p.m. Well, my being impressed had a pretty short lifespan because now some actor that no one has ever heard of, Antonio Sabato Jr., is speaking. Can anyone name one movie this dude has acted in? Anybody? Okay, 9.05 p.m. According to Google, he's been in blockbuster films such as 2001's Shark Hunter and 2005's Crash Landing. 9.10 p.m. I am desperate to leave. Any mention of Trump, safety, Hillary, soldiers, cops, walls, borders, basically any mention of anything at all sends this crowd into a wild frenzy. People are fired up. I'm going deaf from the screaming man behind me who is enjoying affirming everything each speaker has to stay with a boisterous USA. 9.15 p.m. The gentleman behind me is now chanting. 9.30 p.m. I have some friends who are in town and are drinking not far from the convention. Beer over Melania. I can watch the highlights reel in the morning, engage the convention's attendees' reactions in person. 
12 a.m. Checking social media. I love Melania's dress. Melania speaks six languages. 2 a.m. After several drinks, I'm back in my hotel room watching Rudy Giuliani's speech from earlier tonight. I watch it three times in full as I cannot make sense of what I'm seeing. He looks like a madman. I imagine him backstage, pre-speech, hitting himself repeatedly in the face and screaming, Do the damn thing, Rudy! The party in the suite next door to me is enjoying a second night of boozing. Midway through my fourth Giuliani viewing, I'm fast asleep, having night terrors of what insanity awaits me in the coming days. By the second day of the convention, some of the novelty had worn off. Although there had been some truly thrilling moments, I ate breakfast next to Newt Gingrich, who resembled an adorable beach ball. I was beginning to feel exhausted. Mostly, I was tired of all the USA, USA chants. On Tuesday morning, a few hours after Melania's plagiarism controversy, which literally no one at the RNC cared about, I awoke in Cleveland and mentally prepared myself to re-enter the fray. Tuesday, July 19th, convention day 2, 11 a.m. Over coffee in the hotel lobby, I overhear some delegates at the neighboring table discussing Melania's plagiarism scandal. Their vibe seems to indicate that this is being blown way out of proportion, another liberal media takedown. I ask my dad what he thinks. He, to my surprise, also does not seem to think that this is a big deal, maintaining that these are common words, generic phrases, etc. I challenge him by insisting that while indeed the words may be generic, it is the assembly of those words for sentence after sentence that is troubling. He retorts by asking me if including my fellow Americans in a speech would count as plagiarism. I am genuinely horrified and decide to retreat quickly from this conversation. 5.15 p.m. I'm rushing over to the convention to get there in time to see the roll call for nomination. In the elevator, I meet the single cutest old lady I've ever encountered in my life. Her name is Ruby, and she's a delegate. She's five feet tall and wearing exclusively lime green. Ruby asks why I'm here, and I tell her that I'm accompanying my father. She loves that and tells me, the problem with America is that nobody has a dad. She then proceeds to hold my hands while telling me that I have to come visit her on the Upper East Side when we go home. Grandma Ruby, as she has insisted I call her, is in her 90s, and I learn that she has been to something like 10 conventions. 6.30 p.m., the roll call for nomination, while tedious, is actually rather powerful to watch as it is extremely performative and also quite patriotic. Each state is called upon to confirm their delegate's pick. There's a rumbling around me that the convention organizers are ordering the roll call so that the New York delegation gets to be the state that tips Trump over the edge of the required delegates for nomination. I notice that there is no graphic on any screen anywhere in this convention that indicates how many delegates Trump is accumulating. Why is this whole thing so poorly designed? 6.54 p.m. Okay, this is really dragging on. When each state pledges their delegates, they get a moment to say something cute about their state. That was sweet for the first seven or so, but now I'm bored and want to get to the big moment. I have no idea how much longer we have to go because, like I said, there is no graphic to tell me. 7 p.m. Okay, here we go. Don Jr. is coming out to be the person that gives his father enough delegates to secure the nomination. I see Grandma Ruby on the screen, and she's so tiny. This must be so exciting for her. 7.04 p.m. Jesus Christ. The second the words came out of Don Jr.'s mouth, the place erupts in elation. The graphic on the screen now reads, Over the top, and Frank Sinatra's New York, New York is turned up all the way to 11. Everywhere I turn, people are swaying along. 7.07 p.m. A woman two rows behind me is crying. 7.35 p.m. 
I'm leaving to go to an LGBT GOP party and I spot two more people crying tears of joy. Yikes. 9.30 p.m. There are anti-gay protesters here. This is the most uncomfortable and unsafe I have felt since I've been here. They're yelling profanities at everyone who walks by. I see one of them, the ringleader with the bullhorn, has something strapped to his waist. I can't tell if it's a gun. There are cops everywhere. 10 p.m. I'm in the corner of this bizarre LGBT party filled with straight dudes who just love Milo, and I find my thoughts drifting, drifting to Tiffany Trump. Can you imagine how nervous Tiffany Trump must have been? Poor, poor Tiffany Trump. She's younger than I am. Seems like she's only fairly recently been brought up by this campaign. I consult the internet to see the consensus on her performance. Mixed feelings. A for effort. Wednesday, July 20th, 2016, convention day three. 11 a.m. Holy shit, I'm hungover. My father and I go downstairs to the hotel lobby to have lunch. I'm going to hurl. We order two club sandwiches. This is my fifth club sandwich since arriving, and this one is particularly horrible. I take about three bites before I give up. The delegates at the neighboring table seem judgmental. Little do they know that my room adjoins with the party suite, and I know exactly what they're up to in there. People in glass houses. 1 p.m. East 4th Street, the street that leads you to the entrance of the convention, is littered with merchandise. Every imaginable Trump slogan and picture is silk screened onto Hanes t-shirts. Bobbleheads are selling for 20 a pop. You can even take a photo with something called Dryer Lint Donald, but I pass. I admire a shirt that says bomb the shit out of ISIS and consider buying it before I'm told it's $20. 7 p.m. I'm back at the convention after a much-needed afternoon nap. I cannot stress this enough. This event is bloody exhausting. My body is already crumbling, and I have over 24 hours left. This is a marathon, not a sprint, and I am doing it all wrong. 9.06 p.m. As I'm exiting the restroom, a girl stumbles into me and nearly falls over. When she looks at me to apologize, I can smell the bruise on her breath. It's 9 p.m. This is truly the Republican Party. 9.56 p.m. Because the three bars in the media center are closed in an effort to get people into their seats inside the arena, I park it across from the Facebook hub where they have a massive screen live streaming the convention. It's 40,000 degrees outside, but I don't want to go back in there. A montage called My Father Donald Trump is playing on the screen. Eric, Don Jr., and Ivanka are glowing about their wonderful, loving, accomplished father. Curiously, there is no sight of Tiffany. Poor, poor Tiffany. 10 p.m. Hello, RNC. Everybody in this place, let me hear you say Trump. Yeah, Trump. Yeah, screams the singer of the RNC house band. The camera cuts to old white people moving and grooving. 10.03 p.m. Eric Trump sounds like Owen Wilson when he gets on stage. Wow, wow. Wow, he repeats. An alternate delegate friend I've just made thinks he's drunk. He's had a few too many, he tells me. Eric Trump has ridiculously white teeth. He calls himself a millennial in the speech. How old is Eric Trump? 10.04 p.m. Eric Trump is 32. That's not a millennial. 10.27 p.m. Newt's on stage, and it's not a beach ball. It's a blueberry. Newt Gingrich looks like a blueberry. Okay, it's official. I love Newt Gingrich. This is the most surprising epiphany of the convention. I look at his Instagram, and his bio reads, Zoo Lover. I don't care about his beliefs or opinions. He's a zoo-loving beach ball blueberry. I almost started chant, Newt, Newt, Newt. 
10.40 p.m. What is it about Mike Pence's face that I hate so, so much? Does Mike Pence even have eyes? Can someone find me the eyes on that man's face? He is unbearable. I feel bad for his poor wife and daughter who have to stand next to Melania and Ivanka. Exhaustion is hitting me like a truck, and Mike Pence is helping me fall asleep. Thursday, July 21st, 2016, Convention Day 4, 2 p.m. After a leisurely morning, my father and myself are now at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for Delegates Day. The security is insane. It is equal to, if not more secure than the convention itself. I guess that Cleveland has its priorities straight. They set out cookies for us. They're stale. 4.02 p.m. Okay, that's it. If I see one more fucking person in a Hillary for Prison t-shirt, I'm going to throw myself in front of oncoming traffic. 4.12 p.m. A bird just died, dropped out of the sky, and landed within inches of me. A bad omen or what? 6 p.m. The restaurant where my father and I are eating dinner has a special RNC cocktail list. Drinks include The Dirty Hillary and The Great Wall of Trump. They both sound bad. My father has traded me his floor pass so that I can finally get down there and be in the thick of it all. The energy down there is a thousand times more electric than anywhere else in the convention. I decide to forego sitting down with the New York delegation in favor of wandering around. As a born and bred New Yorker, I'm not often overwhelmed, but in this environment, it is impossible not to be. I'm asked four times by security guards if I have credentials to be down there. Men with big cameras keep bumping into me, offering no apology. I last about 20 minutes on the floor before I rush to the exit. Roughly 9 p.m. I've traded credentials with my father again and am back in my assigned seat. The band is playing an original song, you guessed it, Make America Great Again. The lyrics from what I can make out are, we're gonna make America great, make America great again, gonna make, make America great, make America great again. I spot some people on the floor dancing with great enthusiasm. My secondhand embarrassment is skyrocketing. 9.40 p.m. In my seat and watching Ivanka. Ivanka really is good. She keeps touching her hair, though, which bothers me. I wonder to myself if Donald loves Ivanka more than Don Jr., because obviously he loves her more than his forgotten children, Eric and Tiffany. Ivanka says some great stuff about the wage gap and how Donald will support working mothers or something. It's all bullshit, of course, but it sounds wonderful. 10.18 p.m. The Donald. There he is in the flesh, the leathery, orange, freaky flesh. I can't really find the words to articulate just how insane this is in person. The people around me are behaving like 16-year-old girls seeing the Beatles for the first time. My ears are ringing. Half the crowd is chanting, Trump, Trump, Trump. The other half is screaming, USA. 10.25 p.m. Having watched so many other speakers over the last few days, it has never been more obvious to me that Trump is an atrocious public speaker. I can't tell if this is because I hate his cadence or the way his mouth moves. Is this up for debate? Are there people out there who believe he's a great orator? 10.30 p.m. Holy shit. Trump actually made me cheer. He said that our airports are basically third world countries and I'm up on my feet. We need to make LaGuardia great again. 10.38 p.m. Trump looks like he has hemorrhoids under his eyes. I get a text that his mouth looks like an asshole. I get another text, this time accompanied by a screenshot. Look at those teeny weeny small dick fingers. Many texts are flooding in now, all of them exclaiming, I can't believe you're there. I can't either. 11.16 p.m. 
<clears throat> the woman to my left has been fairly quiet throughout Trump's speech, but she's getting more and more animated as Trump starts discussing China. She turns to me unprompted and says, I was on the fence, but this has totally convinced me. At one point, I explain, exclaim that it's time for him to wrap it up, at which, she, at which point she turns to me and, gasping in horror, inquires, You're not into Trump? 11.18 p.m. There's a man behind me who is probably the most annoying one I have encountered at this convention. He's an alternate delegate from Washington, I think, and he will not shut the fuck up. He is repeatedly yelling, thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Trump. I love you so much. Thank you. When I asked the woman to my right if she could take my photo, I realized out of the corner of my eye that this guy is also taking a photo of me. Gross. 11.22 p.m. All right. We're about 16 hours into this Trump speech, and he's just now talking about his childhood. I wish Ivanka was the presidential candidate. She is so much more tolerable. I cannot listen to him for another minute. The crowd, though, is worse than Trump. I am so disturbed to see fully grown adults behaving this way. I'm certain that without all the pauses to allow for this crowd to go fucking nuts, this speech would have been about 15 minutes long. I get a text from my mother. This crowd looks like sheep, and he's leading them to slaughter. 11.36 p.m. I walk out minutes before the balloon drop because being in that room makes me feel as though I am falling into a deep pit of insanity. I watch from the massive screen of the outdoor arena because there's alcohol here. It looks anticlimactic. Trump should have hooked up better outfits for the Pence family. 11.47 p.m. I encounter a white man with dreadlocks. Bro, aren't you at the wrong convention? 12 a.m. I look over my shoulder and I see another dancing old white man. Oh, that's my father. We decide to have a drink. We're both relieved this madness is over. I think that in the end, this convention pushed us into two different directions. My father was moved by Trump's children, and because of that, I think he's feeling more comfortable with casting a Trump vote in November. During his speech, Mike Pence exclaimed, you can't fake good kids. My dad agrees. As for me, well, I'm more confused than ever. Coming into this, I'd assumed that everyone I would encounter would be an ignorant, bigoted, and unbearable. But most of the people I have met have seemed like genuinely bright, empathetic, open-minded folks. How disorienting is that? 4 a.m. I'm walking back to my hotel alone through the streets of Cleveland with a dead phone. People are still packing up their merchandise stands. Cops are still lurking on street corners. Delegates are all stumbling back to their respective resting places. As I'm turning the corner to my hotel, I pass an older, sleeping homeless man who, I shit you not, is in a Hillary for Prison t-shirt. I can't wait to go home.